I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey guys, it's Malls. Thanks so much for listening to Please Advise. Just a quick message before the show. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. It's super helpful for us and super helpful for you. You can also call 323-450-7408 to get your calls on the show. Again, 323-450-7408. Or email askpleaseadvise at gmail.com with your voice notes or emails. Thanks so much. Hey guys, it's Malls. It's episode 125 of Please Advise. Thank you so much for tuning in, as always. Um, Christina Lopez is here. Hey. Hi. I'm, we're sober this time. I know. Last time you heard... Guys, we're usually sober. Like, I love that it was, like, kind of all over the map. Like, so many people were like, Malls, I'm fucking dead. Like, I was... Because di- I think... I, I found it to be so obnoxious. Like, I found it so hard to listen to myself, and I honestly pity that you had to edit... I mean, I really do have... I pity that you had to edit that. I actually had some anxiety about publishing that episode, just because I was also drunk. Christina, I... <laughs> sounded like I had just taken the fattest hit of heroin that a person has ever taken. Like, my mom always makes fun of me because she's like, the second you have a drink, like, it's obvious, like, you're such a fucking lightweight <laughs> that, like, and and while I can I can drink, but I'm also a lightweight. So I, I will say this. get very drunk very quick. This is the thing that always, like, has boggled me. You are, um, it sounds a little bit like you're very obviously 
drunk to the point it's like a little belligerent. Yeah. But you're so cognizant that it's like shocking. I am? Yeah. Like there what? are moments where I'm like talking about something thinking that, you know, when you're dealing with a drunk person, you're kind of like talking to the side yeah. to someone else thinking that they can't like process what you're saying. Yeah. But you're like fully like aware of like what's oh, going no. on Because it, it just it just wears on me quicker. So yeah. it seems like I've had a lot more than I've had. But in fact, I'm like very I'm, – I'm there. I just – I sound very drunk. Yeah. Because I'm not going to say I have the most unlazy speech of all time to begin with. Um, my speech in general is pretty lazy. So the drunker I get, if I even have a cocktail, I start to sound like I'm shit-based. Um – that all said, you guys, we have a very <laughs> special guest today. Um, he is someone that I met through Twitter, as I meet everyone in my life. Um, his name is Nicholas Ferroni. He was People Magazine's Sexiest Teacher of the Year. Uh, I do not know if he's single, by the way. Do you we, know? We didn't get into that. We didn't get into it. But he does at one point reference, he's like, if, I, if my wife or my girlfriend, and I was like, Molly, do, do you ask? Is this where you ask if he has a wife or a girlfriend? Uh, because everyone I have talked to since this person reached out to me about his very cool project that he's working on, um, everyone who I've said like, oh, do you know this guy? Have you seen this guy? They're like, is he single? Um, I don't know if he's single. Listen, we didn't want to treat him like a piece of meat. I know. You know I was going to ask him if he was embarrassed by the, by <laughs> that thing. I, Nicholas, if you're if you're listening to this, which I'm sure you are, <laughs> as, long, as well as Kevin, Nicholas, if you're listening to this, uh, hit me up and let me know, are you single? And uh, was that People magazine thing kind of embarrassing for you? Where How did you feel about that? I would be a little embarrassed. I'm in tr- uh, no, well, I think it like was a beneficial to boost like his platform and totally. what he's trying to talk about. Because he's dreamy and, and like, also has a great message. If this is the way he has to get to talk to people about important things, then if that's the conduit that it is, it's beneficial. So I don't know. We should have asked that. But. but it's also like saying like, okay, so I'm a rocket scientist, okay? Yeah. But like the only reason why people pay attention to me is because I'm hot. Like, even though I have earned the opportunity to be a rocket scientist, like, I would be – if I was a chick, I would be pretty pissed about that. Like, oh, you're only listening to me because you think I'm attractive? Great. I went to MIT. Yeah. Like, I fucking – I'm a rocket scientist. Uh, thanks for asking. Anyway. Well, Cindy Crawford would know how that feels. Is she a rocket scientist? She was going to study, like, some sort of rocket science adjacent uh, education uh, somewhere, and then she got her Molly career started. She's actually really, really smart. Wow. Yeah. Love, well, I mean, a lot of – yeah, there's a lot of beautiful women like that. Actually, by the way, speaking of rocket scientists, I want to say shout out to my cousin Frankie who works at NASA. He shot off his first missile, I think, like two weeks ago. So Whoa. congratulations, That's Frank. That's this world. I know. Is it uh, – but <laughs> it, it, it's really cool to have a cousin that works at NASA. Like yeah, I did not think that that would be where we all wound up as adults. <laughs> like I really didn't. I didn't think Elizabeth would be working for the mayor. I didn't think that I'd be in LA trying to write comedy. I didn't think that Frankie would be working for NASA. Like some surprises in the mix. I know. Truly. I know. Um, you guys, uh, this is our call with Nicholas. He's great. He answers a couple of your calls, and Christina and I go off on a tangent. And don't, don't worry, we stay sober the whole time. Yes. So, all right. Here we go. Nicholas, it's nice to talk to you today. Thank you for joining us on Please Advise Nation. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, I was really excited when you reached out to me because 
it was specifically about a really cool project you're working on, which is something that I'm super passionate about. And I know Please Advise Nation will love to hear about. What's your pet project right now? Uh, well, I have a few, but I believe the one that's kind of that you're speaking of was the for Women's History Month, uh, a friend of mine named Cammie Crawford, who's basically a girl boss, too, who started a clothing line to empower women. We thought it'd be very interesting to kind of take history and kind of take it on by picking some sexist ads from the 50s, 60s, and 70s and updating them with a feminist twist. So kind of reversing the roles to kind of put things in perspective a little bit. Not not to demean men or put men down, but just kind of to show how either either way these ads are absurd, regardless of who's in who's in the lead role. And one thing that you and I were talking about in particular was how absent women and people of color and women of color are from textbooks in general and history books and how as a social studies teacher, a history teacher, that is so important to you to see more representation. And I couldn't agree more. I feel like there's like seven or eight female historical figures well, that get brought up over and over again. But then oh my the God, they, it's men. Like they do it just to fill a quota. They do it just to fill a quota. And it's and I and I really over the years I've come to the the I definitely come to the understanding that we do indirectly teach kids to be sexist, racist, and prejudiced because we give them the impression that one group did everything and the other groups were kind of a side note. And I really think like the only people who should learn more about women's history than women are men. The only people who should learn more about black history than black people are white people. And it goes for LGBTQ history, uh, Spanish history. I mean, when kids learn that everyone contributed, there's so much more understanding and respective of other people. And it's, right. just, it's, and over the years I've definitely come to that belief. And I feel like it's 100% true. Like we indirectly teach kids to be sexist, to discriminate and to, to be prejudiced. Yeah. I feel like there was a lot of like feigning of diversity when I was growing up, like almost the idea of diversity was spoken about, but that wasn't actually reflected in any of our learning lessons. Um, I think that's such an important point you bring up about LGBTQ rights and students. We actually found a really great article about you um, where you were saying that you think it's really important as a, as a teacher in particular to be an ally to the LGBTQ students, especially even if you're not part of that community, if anything, it's more important. Well, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I was working on a campaign called straight teachers for gay students. And the premise being, cause it's, I mean, it's tough enough being a teenager and I can imagine that their kids go to schools where the school is, and I would say some kids come to school to learn, but a lot of kids come to school to be loved. And for many, it's so much more than just mm-hmm. the school. You know, it's a place of acceptance. It's a place of safety and security. So criticism from educators saying that it shouldn't be my position to speak out uh, in certain situations. But I also let them know that if, if their religious beliefs contradict with their role as an educator, then they shouldn't be an educator. You know, it's never yeah. about me. It's never about my beliefs. It's about the kids. And it's as educators, like we may, we may be their only allies and, and advocates. In most cases, it's true. Is there an anecdote that comes to mind that kind of speaks to that for you? Well, it's, I mean, it's one of those situations where, uh, in reference to even LGBTQ history, like I had one of my students, you know, we were discussing it in class and I always tell the story because I feel like it's very powerful and uh, I teach at probably urban school. So, I mean, our school is pretty diverse and, you know, one of my students in class, we're talking about marriage equality and he was just. You know, he's like, no, Mr. Front, I just, I don't agree with it. It's not normal. It's not, there's something wrong with it. I just don't support it. I'm like, no, I respect your, I respect your opinion. But so what do you think we should do? And he's like, what do you mean? What should we do? I'm like, I'll tell you what. I'm like, you know what we should do? We should probably, I think we should create a school for gay people. 
you know, why should we, have, why should straight people have to go to school? Okay, let's create our own school. It's like, really, they would, they would do that. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'll tell you what, how about we even, we should even give them their own towns. And he's like, we should let them, we should just have them separate from everything. And then he's like, and he kind of starts like thinking about it. I'm like, I'll tell you what, if, how about if they even come in our town, we kill them and we, 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 and we put them in jail and we do stuff like that. Just don't let them know who's boss. And my students all kind of gasped when I said that. Mm-hmm. And literally, and kids, obviously, the student was African-American. He literally was like, well, you know, I don't think we should. And I said, do you realize that they said the same thing about black people 50 years ago? Mm-hmm. It's like, just because it's not normal. Do you think it was normal when schools were just integrated? Do you think it was people in the NFL said they don't feel comfortable with black people in their locker room? You know, the conversation hasn't fallen far. And then when I always give this talk, I actually had one person who made a comment who was African-American. And she said, you know, I always hate it when people try to compare the civil rights movement to the LGBTQ movement. And I'm like, you're right. It is unfortunate. But I've never had a student. I've never heard of a, a black male or female saying that they want to kill themselves for being black. But I have plenty of gay students who think about killing themselves for being gay. So to me, it is yeah. a lot different in many cases. I mean, what? What is the problem with that comparison? Because to me, that well, seems like a pretty fair comparison. Well, and I always, being a history teacher, like, I always use history. And, and is it exactly the same? No, but an no. injustice. I mean, Martha King said an injustice to one is injustice to all. You know, it's, it's injustice is injustice. You know, it's, it's history is all about injustices. You know, history is all about controlling groups. You know, history is all yeah. about people trying to fight for their rights. And I always think it's funny because I always put out in history books, the only people who get rights are the people who really didn't earn them. You know, everyone who really earned rights in this country, they don't get them because they constantly have to fight for them and earn them. But to me, it's like history. That's why we study it. So we learn from it. You know, we Mm -hmm. we don't repeat it. Unfortunately, we we do. It's just funny when people don't make those connections. It's also, I think you and I are around the same age. And something that I marvel at regularly is just even the climate that we grew up in in the 80s and, you know, not lesser so the 80s for me, but the 90s in particular were so racist and so homophobic. And when I look back on some of the entertainment that I used to watch, even like seven or eight years ago, I'm shocked at how much stuff got through. Like just things that would never be on television now, or if they were, it would be an example of how it's just complete. I mean, I recently, this is such a dumb example, but I had never seen the show Jersey Shore and I recently uh. started watching it again or watching it for the first time. And I can't believe that that show was on TV in my lifetime um, <laughs> just because of how sexist it was and kind of low key racist and low key homophobic, maybe high key homophobic. Um, but it just, it's really crazy, I think, for these. To first of all, hear that you have students who I believe you said you teach in New Jersey, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah, like that there's people in what I would consider just off the top of my head to be a pretty liberal part of the world with such conservative thoughts. Um, because I always view kids now as like the most woke they've ever been. And they um, are. And I, I teach with great kids. And my, my, I, the one thing I do have to say is kids are so much more colorblind and accepting than ever before. But it's unfortunately they're not in charge. And it's like the other irony I always point out is I always think it's so comical when one minority group persecutes another. Yeah. So it's like stuff like that always blows my mind, how one minority group could persecute another one. You know, how yeah. it's like, if anything, they don't side up with each other, join forces. It's like, you know, it's always like it's one. There's always a hierarchy and there's always a system set up. 
which is mm-hmm. obviously unfortunate in many ways, but it just seems to never change and never end. I was exposed to a group of people in the last year or so um, tangentially that um, had a white boss and then the workers were largely Hispanic. And I've noticed that the one thing they all felt comfortable doing was being homophobic or racist towards black people in particular. And it was like maddening for me to watch just because I couldn't believe that. I mean, long story short, they were construction workers I had in my home, but it was a, it was a, pattern that I was witnessing every single day. And it never failed to surprise me how the one thing they all seemed to rally around was being racist towards black people and homophobic. Well, it's like there's so many historical ironies and there's so much like even the issue of Beauty and the Beast, how, you know, these religious people don't want to show because there's a gay character, yet the film's about bestiality. Like, it's like there's no logic (laughs) to these people. And there's no, and it's, and it's like stuff like that. Like I enjoy nothing more than telling racist people that Jesus was black and Jewish Two people. They hate yeah. most, you know, that cause it upsets them. And it's, but it's like, that's the truth. You know, don't be selectively religious. Don't use, don't use, don't use your beliefs to kind of cover up your own prejudices. You know, it's like, right. and I remember having this talk with a Senator or Congressman in Tennessee, they were trying to pass this don't say gay bill where they wanted to stop people from saying the word gay in schools and yet their state, and I was like, all right, so then are you going to take down your statue of Andrew Jackson in front of your state building? And he said, well, no, I said he was a mass murderer. You know, it's like, doesn't, yeah. you can't pick and choose. Like, I can't tell my girlfriend or my wife, you know, honey, you know, I'm not going to kill you. I respect that commandment, but I'm not going to, I am going to cheat on you because I don't think I, I don't want to follow that one. Like, you don't have that right. luxury. So it's just, it's really interesting of the hypocrisy of so many people. And that's, that's kind of what it comes down to. It's just, and as an educator, I, I would rather deal with kids any of the weeks. They're such, they're so impressionable. They're so much more open-minded than we are. But it, it's funny because like even the movie Loving came out where they're like, you know, I can't believe that, that this people went to jail for being an interracial relationship. I'm like, there's still people who don't believe interracial relationships should exist. And yeah. it's like, how, do, how do people not compare that to marriage equality? It's like, just because I don't, I'm like, you don't have to understand something just because you don't understand it doesn't make it wrong. You know, there's still right. people, and the irony is the people who don't support marriage equality probably still don't support interracial marriage or still have issues mm-hmm. with that. So yeah. I'm sorry. You could tell I'm obviously very passionate about these topics. <laughs> no, don't be sorry. I think it's great because, you know, I mean, we're trying to have more important conversations on Please Advise. We definitely like to keep it light as well. But especially during this time, I think it's really important that if you have a platform that you're using it to say something at least part of the time. Um I want to know where are you from and did you have some sort of like awakening that made you passionate about these things? I mean, as I said, I don't think that we grew up in a climate that was the most accepting. And so I feel like there might have been a turning point for you at some point where it all kind of clicked that this is what we were living in. There definitely were. And I mean, like you were saying too, it's, I'm outspoken on a lot of issues, but it's like I'm a straight white Christian male who speaks out for minority uh, LGBTQ youth and women. So it's like my only interest is doing it is because it's the right thing. So they can't really say I only have self-interest involved here. So I feel like that kind of definitely plays into uh, the projects I'm working on. But I actually, I mean, I grew up in the town I I teach in. And I always Mm -hmm. grew up around, I mean, I had friends of every race, culture, religion, everything along those lines. So I was completely, completely engulfed in, in different cultures. And I remember, my, I remember my mom telling me like my only extent or talking about race was, I think one day I came home from school and I was, 
like six or seven, I remember telling my mom, like, you know, my best friend's Clinton. And she's like, yeah, I know. I'm like, you know, he's black. She's like, yeah, I know. I'm like, isn't that cool? And she's like, yeah, I know. And it's like, that's the extent of racism I've ever had because I was just acknowledging that he was a different color. Like I had no remorse or no negative uh, affiliate with that. And I just, I've always, always been in a position where I've interacted and been exposed to every different person, every different creed, every different scenario. And I, honestly, it's right. like Mark Twain said it best. He said, traveling kills prejudice. When you sit mm-hmm. down and meet people who, who are people that you may not like because you were taught something or, or because you were, something was pushed upon you. I mean, that'll change your opinion very quickly. For me, you know, I love that quote too, because I completely agree with it. it but it's also like killed prejudice in me in ways that I, that were unfortunate where I remember being in Memphis and just hearing like the most racist and homophobic stuff I ever heard in my life from a carriage driver. We were in like a carriage. And at one point I was looking, I had at the time one of my Hello Giggles interns with me. We were on like a work trip. And I remember looking at her and feeling like I had to get her off this carriage because I felt <laughs> responsible that she was hearing all of this stuff. She, she was so much younger than me. And like, as I said, like, I have a little bit of a thicker skin for how disappointing sometimes people can be. And I'm looking at where we're, where we are. And it's this, you know, it's a not a great area in town. And I realized like we just have to sit on this carriage until we get brought to a place that's safe for us to get off. And when we got off, I, I just like I started to apologize to her because I I guess that was my own ignorance. And I and I, you know, relived that with this last election is that I, it didn't even occur to me that you could get on a carriage ride and someone would think in the year, I think it was 2015, <laughs> to talk to a customer like that and to just openly assume that they would be as homophobic as you were. Like, I think he, we said something like, oh, we're from L.A. And he said, I went to L.A. and nine homosexuals hit on me. And that's always a great sign when someone knows the exact amount of times they've been hit <laughs> on by a gay guy. Homosexuals. Homosexual. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that may even be a kind way that I'm rephrasing that now historically. But um, so, all right. Um, what do you think are the next – several important steps that we can take as a country right now to, first of all, get more women into textbooks, but secondly, bring further awareness to all these issues, because I don't think we've ever been more aware of how many people think differently than you and I. Oh my, well, I think social media has brought us, uh, you don't realize how many people you don't like, uh, because now because of social media, you talk about stuff you never would, or how many mm-hmm. people you actually disagree with. But I mean, yeah. it's, it's I honestly, I feel like education is such a powerful tool. And I feel like if as educators, the funny thing is people would say what I'm doing is indoctrinating kids to, to let them know it's okay to be themselves and that they shouldn't kill themselves or there's, it's okay to be gay or be this or that. So it's funny that people consider that having a liberal agenda though. It's to me, it seems like human decency. Exactly. But, I mean, my thing with education is we need, we need to uh, obviously include more, more groups in textbooks, which would be so much more effective to just open people's minds and expose them to different cultures and, and just let them know that everyone contributed. Everyone was here. You know, it's just, it's, it's very interesting to kind of see how people's mentality is defined by what we learn or what we don't learn as kids and what we're exposed to. 
And okay, as an so, educator, I feel like education is probably one of the foundations for an open-minded and accepting and uh, a society that kind of works together and accepts everybody. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. Like, I really do view my educational experience to be one of the greatest gifts I've had in my life, not just for what I learned in the classroom, but for everything I learned socially and even just through interacting with people. Like, I mean, I went to Boston College and I really loved being educated by Jesuits. Like, I do think that there is a really loving undertone to a lot of that type of teaching. Um, well, well, it's but- funny. Another Twain quote, which I love telling my students, is he always brings up the fact. Like Twain said, he's like, he's like, I don't know what he's like. I never met Christ, but I do know one thing: if he was alive today, he would not be a Christian. <laughs> Based on all the behavior and all the prejudice and all the hated hatred going on in the, in the South during the early 1900s, he's like, yeah. hey, he's like, I know one thing: Christ would definitely not be a Christian. That's for sure. Yeah, but it's, it, it is very interesting on how different religions kind of have different perspectives on things. But you know, and I just, and I also identify as a Christian as well, and I just want to like back this up a little bit. Like, I do believe that the God I believe in is probably a Christian God, but I also yeah. feel like Christians catch a lot of shit for the bad Christians out there, and that really bothers me because, um, you know, for all of there's so many groups that are out doing terrible stuff, but there are also yeah. really beautiful Christian people, and I feel like it's well, most, really easy to throw. Are. a yeah, I think it's yeah. really easy to people to just throw a blanket over it. And like, that's so dangerous when you just start throwing um, blankets over religious groups and saying well, like, you know, it's the messed up Christians. Like well, we, we do just, that for everything. We do that. For, and it's like, even I point out it even in social media, it's like, you know, only in America when, when one person does something, what, you know, when, when Trump tweeted that, you know, when African-American people were protesting in Missouri and he's like, oh, look at your black president now. Like he was blaming our black president for the behavior of all black people or Muslim, right. one Muslim per- or Muslim people for the behavior of one Muslim person. But when a white person does something, we never blame the white president. We never blame all white people. We just we say, oh, that person's crazy. Like we once automatically separate them from everyone else. You know, mm-hmm. it's funny how it, it's and it just it puts things in perspective in the type of culture that we have in this country. Where it's like yeah. one group can never do anything wrong, but every other group, it's if one person doesn't, they, they're all that way. And it's it's just it's just very interesting to kind of see it play out. And to me, it's I mean, it's disturbing at the same time. Like I've said, and I'll say it again, it's like dealing with kids. It does give you a sense of hope. And and they're more. And I tell them they should be more progressive than I am. They should be more open minded than I am. You know, it's I don't want them to think like me. Right. But I want them. I just want, like you said, I want them to be woke. I want them to be aware, and I want them to have all the information. So um, it's interesting that you mentioned the word crazy because I've made it my personal mission to stop assigning that word to human beings because I don't think it's ever appropriate or productive because most of the time your problem with someone is not that they are mentally ill. Women in particular, I feel, get slapped with that label and it's so damaging and dismissive. With what Um, label, Molly, as far as being crazy, being, being crazy? the word crazy. And I feel that that a lot of times, like your problem with Kellyanne Conway is not that she's crazy. It's that she's facilitating a racist Islamophobe. (laughs) Like everyone's crazy when they don't think the way you think. (laughs) Yes. I've, I think it's a very lazy word. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's it's definitely (laughs) a bad word. No, it's definitely, it definitely is a bad word. And there's, I mean, again, I think it's, 
And I, I apologize for using it in that context. I didn't mean it. Oh, no, 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 no. I think you're right. That's exactly what people do is that people go, oh, they're crazy. And I just think it's an oversimplification of like a much bigger problem. It's like, no, that person doesn't suffer from a mental illness. They're just fucked up. Yeah. And like that, yeah. that's a very different thing. Um, and that's just, I just wanted to throw that out there because that's something that I've been working on doing less of. I'm definitely someone who, if I've had an alternative opinion in certain situations, like I personally have definitely been called crazy. And I realized <laughs> like the reason why that person's calling me that is because they don't understand me. And, um, I just think that that's like a low key way that people shame each other, but in particular, women, it's so damaging to get slapped with that label. Um, and I'm well, women to get like, damaged for everything. You know, women as an opinion, she's a horrible person. A, a, a man cries, he's he's compassionate. A woman cries, she's emotional. You know, it's it is funny how the two sides are looked a little differently. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Situations can be crazy, I think. Um, but people not so much unless I don't know, they're literally throwing their feces at other people in a padded cell. Um, real quick, have you caught any flack as being a white male that's ha- that has this agenda? Like has this been something well, that you've I- caught flack for? I mean, I always I live by the quote of Winston Churchill. He said, "You've been criticized as good; it means you stood up for something in your life." You know, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not if you're not being criticized, you're not doing anything worth important. You know, you have to. If everyone accepted, it's like you know, if everyone accepts your beliefs, if everyone accepts your ideas, then obviously it's not too progressive. Mm-hmm. So it's like I mean, yeah. I, I catch a lot of flack. I, I catch flack from Christian educators in the South who think I'm perverting kids by telling them it's okay to be the way they are, right. or that you know we shouldn't that I have some liberal agenda to include more minority groups in textbooks when it's just for the sole and the benefit of the kids. And it's right. like there's anytime it's, it's funny. Anytime you say something that people disagree with it, it's an agenda or it's indoctrination or it's, you know, or it's something that's not normal. And it's, and the, I always bring up, and I, I did this the other day and I showed my students this article about abolitionists. And in the 1830s and forties, they literally, there were articles saying that abolitionists were out of their minds because most people thought slavery was acceptable and normal. So the, mm-hmm. the few people who didn't think slavery was okay were considered mentally insane. Yeah. And it's like, so even, and I always point out, just because 90% of people believe something doesn't mean it's it's right. You know, 90% of people thought it was okay to burn women as witches. You know, I can imagine right. one person tried to stand up and say, hey guys, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. They would have burned them as being a witch because only witch would have said something that horrible. So right. just, you are going to catch flack for everything. And it's, I will never be a history teacher. The one thing I can always assure you, I was, I will never be on the wrong side of history. And a lot of people I are. love that. I and, love and you. I love that you said that. Thank you for, you know what? That's a good point. I was thinking about that last night. I was like, if every person had to ask themselves, am I going to look like an asshole in a hundred years? Like that would change a lot of things. I really, I really think that not enough people are asking themselves like, just yeah. projection wise, like, is it likely that in a hundred years from now I'm going to look like a douchebag? Well, I think a lot of people well, would would act differently. Well, that's why I tell my students, I'm like, I'm like the same way that I ask my parents, I'm like, how? And I ask them questions, like, how could people really think it was bad for white and black people to go to school? I'm like, they're gonna, I'm like, your kids are gonna ask you, it's like, how could people really think marriage equality was wrong? You know how it's like, it's really that point where it's like people in the time really think they're right, but at the same time, it's. It's just this generation's kind of social justice struggle. And there are, there are always, again, there are always people on both sides. 
And I really think mm-hmm. as a history teacher and even as, as you being like, we are living in a great time. I mean, I love the fact, and again, anyone who criticized the protests that are going on has no sense of history because our country was founded on protest. You know, that was what our country was founded on. We would, how dare we teach these kids how great these men were then get mad at them when they actually put what they did into practice. You know, we right. teach them about the protest, but when they do it, it's, no, no, don't do it against us. So it's right. like, to me, it's like we are witnessing a great time, and I think there's nothing more democratic than what's going on right now. But the, again, if you're, if you're on one side or the other, then you obviously disagree. So here's my last question before we go into um, some of our calls. What is like the calling your senator version of improving the landscape of textbooks? Like, I'm not even sure where I would begin to contact someone directly to say, hey, I would like to see this change, um, which I think is, you know, probably the the most direct move one could make. That is the million dollar question, because uh, textbooks have a very interesting development. A lot of times, a lot of what goes in our textbooks depends on a few states, California, Texas, and Florida. But Texas is one of the biggest, uh, I would say, one of the, the, the biggest points on what goes in most textbooks. And right. which means, and all the other states then kind of have to adopt because Texas is the largest purchaser of school textbooks. I mean, the best way to go about it is to put people in, in the Department of Education as far as those states that are, are more open-minded and progressive. The, the quickest route is to encourage educators to use supplementary forms of text. Means I, I teach, I use our textbooks, but I use a lot of material that's not in our textbooks, as many educators do, because if we sit around and wait for textbooks to change, they're not going to. I mean, right. again, we, we still teach Columbus Discovered America, though that's long been discouraged for the past 30 years, but we still teach, right. you know, so yeah. it's like, you know, we still teach things that are blatant lies, but because the people in power want us to continue perpetuating those lies. Yeah. So to me, the best way to go about it is to hopefully have, have a, 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 a nation of educators who refuse to accept using one form of information, I guess, especially when that information is not the truth. Mm -hmm. Wow. I think that's a really good point. And I think that, I mean, we definitely have a lot of teachers out there that listen. I was talking just on our, uh, one of our Facebook groups this week. And I I think like seven or eight teachers came out of the woodwork. We were talking about Mm -hmm. school. And so if you're a teacher out there listening, this is for you. This is important right. stuff. Um, I mean, if, if you're a teacher out there listening, thank you for what you do because true. I mean, everybody knows that you're so much more than teachers. And I mean, that's that's literally my other agenda is not only to empower kids, but to celebrate all the amazing educators. And it's it's to me, it's the most frustrating thing in the world because, I mean, t- again, teachers are our superheroes. They perform miracles every single day in spite of what the policies do or take away from them. You know, they always find a way to make it work. And I am an educator because they had amazing educators and I know how influential they can become. So I don't want to take us off track, but I just want to, to me, that's my other mission is to celebrate educators, to change that public opinion. No, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. And I feel like we used to be a lot better about that. I feel like maybe, maybe it was just because I was in school and I'm from a family of educators um, that I was surrounded by that dialogue, but you're absolutely right. That's a big thing to say and very important thing to note. So, um, Nicholas, do you want to take a couple calls with me? Absolutely. I would love to. Hold on one sec. We're going to take a quick break. Hey, Please Advise fam. 
I have a question that's not about uh, a boyfriend or girlfriend or a crazy person. It's just about a coworker and professional etiquette. So I had this coworker. She just got a new job, so she left, and it's been on my mind. Who the whole year she was working with us was utterly incompetent. Like she was slow at her job. She was bad at formatting things. She just like was never like on the same page as anyone else about everything, but also thought she was right about everything and was incredibly petty and defensive. And so she was just dysfunctional in every way and she's gone. And I was like leaving work today and I just like snuck out when my shift was over and I didn't say goodbye to her even though it was her last day. And she's just like going to get another job in the company. So it's not really like she's leaving forever and I'll never see her. But I was kind of like, oh, is that kind of a a dick move to just, like, dip out and not say goodbye to this person I've been working with for a year? That said, she doesn't like us either, and she hasn't liked her job for a long time, and she thinks we're a bunch of jerks, and we think she's really bad at her job. So I was like, am I obligated to really, like, make a big show of her, like, leaving our team? Or, you know, how should I have been interacting with her this whole time? Like, I was never, like, openly hostile to her. Like, some people on my team really could get heated with her, but I was always just, like quietly frustrated and cordial with her but um I don't know how nice you have to be to people you work with I'm young and like everyone on my team is young so this is kind of everyone's first job but I'm like going forward like how much I don't know like genuine social enjoyment do I have to get out of the people I work with and how do you handle it when you're like "Mm, you're not good at your job but you're not a bad person so I just kind of want you to leave me alone in case I do snap if you try and talk to me when I'm in a bad mood and you've caused it um, thanks so much, fam. By the way, the episode when you and Christina get dinner, I was screaming at the phone over and over again, please stop talking, because I was like, this is being recorded, and now everyone can hear it. But that just means it was truly wonderful and candid and hysterical. I mean, just truly on the ground laughing the whole time, and I, and I love you both. I don't know why you trust us with these things. I mean, uh, absolutely brilliant. See you guys. Okay, so basically, all right, I don't know, Nicholas, about you, and I'm sure I have a feeling you're going to disagree with me on this, but I don't think your coworkers are your friends. Like, I mean, I think they can be, but even then, that's dangerous and possibly inappropriate. Well, I mean, I I definitely, I mean, again, I teach with, I teach with amazing people, but there are teachers who don't like other teachers. You know, it's, it's funny, certain departments have issues with each other, but I mean, to me, it's like coworkers is, and the one lesson I've always had, people always kind of reinforced is, you know, be kind to everybody. You know, mm-hmm. it, it'll make some people happy and it'll annoy the people who don't like you. And it's yeah. like, to me, it's like, and that's the one thing. It's like, you know, be kind to people who are kind because they deserve it. Be kind to people who aren't kind because they need it. And to me, it's mm-hmm. like, if I, if I think you don't like me, I'm going to be overly nice to you just because I know it'll annoy you so much. Yeah. It's like either way, it's, I mean, to me, it just, it requires so much energy to be any mm-hmm. other way. You know, it's, and it's, I definitely, I mean, obviously you're not required to get along with everyone. You're not, I work with a lot of people who I disagree with, but I mean, I, there's, there's professional courtesy. And if they don't, to me, it's like, I don't let someone else's behavior dictate my behavior. You know, if you want to be mean to me, that is completely up to you. I'm, I'm yeah. continue being the person I am. So I just, I don't let other people's behavior affect me. And I think for the professional space, it's definitely, I think that's kind of, I I think it definitely carries over to the professional space as well. I mean, I think the only negative 
part about this call because I don't necessarily think, you know, depending, assuming it's an office that has more than five people in it, I don't think it's a big deal to do an Irish goodbye on a coworker that like, it's not as if you're never going to see them again. It's just their last day in your department. The problem I see here is that this caller, I know, I, can I say his name? His name's Kevin. He's a, he's a regular listener and a great guy. Um, it bothers me that he's going home and kind of torturing himself about this and calling Absolutely. a podcast about it because it bothers him. And that to me goes to show that like, this is he's a, a scenario. Yeah. And it wouldn't have killed him to say goodbye to her, yeah. but it is killing him that he didn't. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I mean, it, if Kevin is listening, I don't think you did anything wrong. I, I the fact you're, you're concerned about it says you are a compassionate person. And I mean, maybe for next time, my only advice would be just to say goodbye, whether you mean it or not. That way you could sleep, have a good night's sleep and not have to worry about it. And that's always yeah. a better way. I mean, it's, again, it's, it always saying it's, it, to doing things out of respect. It's like, obviously you don't want to do them. You do things out of respect. They're out of respect. But I mean, if it's going to haunt you and there's stuff, I've done stuff like that where it's haunted me, where a little gesture, like something like that. Where it's like, did I did they did I say goodbye? Did I forget that? You know, it's at the same time the fact we worry about those things shows you that you are a compassionate person and you are a caring person and, and you do care about and you are self aware and you do worry about other people's feelings because his mm-hmm. concern was he even he said he didn't like her but he was concerned that you know him not saying goodbye would have had some effect on on her or the people around him. so that does say a lot about him and I'm also from the school of like. Kevin, maybe she doesn't care about you. <laughs> maybe she, it wouldn't, maybe not everyone's thinking about, did Kevin say goodbye to me? Which is actually when you really kind of take that thought and, and uh, like own it, it's very freeing when you realize, like, oh, there are plenty of people that haven't said goodbye to me in my, in my life. And if they were sitting at home torturing themselves over it, I would be kind of embarrassed. Like, Anytime well, we'll I've had know, someone's... We, we will know the minute Kevin leaves his job and if anyone says goodbye to him, I think that'll be the final answer. <laughs> Do they have cake? If they have cake for Kevin, then he completely misread this whole situation. That's so true. And can I assure <laughs> you, Nicholas, Kevin is definitely listening to this. I love that you said if Kevin... Trust me, Kevin's a listener. He's going to be here and, re- and love this response. So I, will, um, I just Kevin... hope Kevin gets cake when he does move on to a bigger, better job from his yeah, like a Carvel or something like really yeah. tacky and delicious. <laughs> um, okay, let's take another call. Hey, Malls. Um, I have a question. Um, I know it's not in some ways my place in a classic sort of sitcom dilemma, but um, my best friends in this heavily codependent relationship with a guy that sort of dragged on through her, well, mid to late 20s, um, I like him and I like her, but I'm having trouble sort of staying friends with her because she sort of stagnated into this type of relationship where she's this hyper-talented but highly dysfunctional and admittedly mentally ill and OCD artist, and she needs this sort of sad man who calms her down, who is kind of her nurse, and that's the relationship. The power dynamics are really skewed. To any outside viewer, they'd say, what is this lovely, charismatic, witty, beautiful girl doing with this sort of short nothing who, quite honestly, is a nice guy but doesn't really have much to contribute to a conversation or a sense of humor or anything else 
great in someone's life. Um, but it's gotten to the point just sort of where they're about to get married and she keeps talking about whenever I see her, how unhappy she is and how sexually unsatisfied she is and how if she ever were to get off her Prozac and get a sex drive again, she worries that she would cheat on him. Should I say something? It's my closest friend. I kind of feel like I can't because in that sort of classic sitcom way, if I were to criticize him and then things were to get better with them, I would be blamed. Um, but yeah, it's more, I guess the question is, can I keep someone like that in my life? I guess as I'm getting a little older, I'm 26, almost 27, um, who's so dysfunctional or do I kind of have to let this relationship go and just respect that, you know, people grow at different paces and now we might just be growing apart because this person's kind of stuck in this sort of weird bout of codependency and mental illness. Um, yeah, let me know. Okay. So I, I'm kind of laughing as we're getting this call because if, if anything makes me think of a codependent relationship, it's high school. And I'm sure you probably oh see a lot of students in messed up relationships. That's all I do is I'm, I'm a, I teach history, but I'm a, a relationship counselor. And again, <laughs> I, and it's like every time and I always try to use, and that's, I could solve every problem. You know, they come in and it's literally, it's like I had a girl come in the other day and it's, you know, she's like, and she's in tears. I'm like, is everything okay? And it's like, obviously they're not going to care about history if they just got dumped after their two month relationship. Yeah. And it's like, so I had a girl come in the other day and she was in tears and she's like, what happened? She's like, oh, we broke up after six months. Six months. I was like, oh my God. I'm like, you're, you're 16. I'm like, no one's ever going to date you. I'm like, you're an old hag. Like six months? <laughs> like that, there's no coming back from that. You might as well join the con. And she starts laughing. I'm like, do you realize how absurd that sounds? Like, I got dumped the week before prom. Like, come back when your prom matches that. And I'm like, I got over it after a few years of psychiatric help. I got over it. I'm like, but it's, they think their problems are so epic. The other irony is, Molly, is they don't realize that the same problems they're facing in high school. I tell them, like, it's the same stuff when you become an adult. Yes. Accept it. Nothing changes. Yeah. It doesn't. The same problems. It's like, oh, so why'd, you, why'd your girlfriend get many? Oh, I was liking a girl's picture on Instagram. And he's like, so why'd your girlfriend get many? Oh, because I was liking a girl's pictures on Instagram. You know, it's like it's the same problems, just in different different time periods. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's to, to answer his question very quickly, and, and we discuss this all the time because, you know, it's, I always quote Oscar Wilde in that sense where I say, a true friend stabs you in the front. Mm-hmm. A true friend stabs you in the front, meaning, you know, he, he already answered his question. He, he, he should tell her, especially as concerns. And th- that guy's an idiot. My first responsibility when I'm dating a girl is to make sure her best friends love me. I could care less whether she likes me. I want all her <laughs> friends to like me. That way, when we break up, all they do is constantly bring up how great I was. Oh, you're a nice that's guy? The mark. <laughs> he, that's where he's missing the mark. I'm a great guy, but I know who my allies are. Yeah. I know who my allies are. You know, it's like if her <laughs> friends don't like you, you're done. Yeah. So... Nicholas, so I, that her boyfriend's missing the mark. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to let you go because I know that you have to go off with your nephews. I'm going to continue answering this question a little bit because I was in a similar situation not too long ago myself. But I really appreciate you joining us today okay. and for and for everything, for reaching out. For- no, thank you. Thank you so much. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on the campaign. And I I would love to come see you do your thing in person when I do come to LA in a few weeks. Awesome. I would love that. And um, we will post up on our Instagram some of your campaign ideas. They're really cool. We, Christine was just showing me on the phone. They look really awesome. So thank you so much for sharing. And uh, go have fun with your nephews. Uh, thank you so much, Molly. Thank you so much, Christine. I hope you guys have a great weekend. I will talk to you soon. All right. Let's talk soon. Have a good All week. Right. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. 
Okay, so first of all, I just want to backtrack now that people's sexiest teacher of the year <laughs> or whatever is off the line because I didn't want to embarrass you in front of him, Kevin. And yes, I'm referring to the previous call. Screw you. Of course, Christina <laughs> and I got wasted and went to dinner. Everyone does. Why do we share this with you? Frankly, I'm not sure, but I can't not share it with you. So there's that. <laughs> it's because we lost an episode and needed content. It's because we lost an episode and needed content. Oh, my God. That was a disaster. We Poor Shane Dawson came out here. We did a whole episode. It got deleted. That kind of blew, but... Um, We're going to have him back. And he also, I want to note, because I don't think we ever got to say this, that the gift that he gave, (laughs) the gift that he gave us for our Please Advise Hall of Fame was a pill bottle of like, I don't know, were they They were like suppositories. It was a prescription for like suppositories that he got. And inside of it, he put like slime that he had made. Yeah, it was really it was really a a wild gift. At first, I got excited because I was like, oh, shit, is he bringing us leftover painkillers? And then I realized, (laughs) no, it's just full of slime. But then that was equally cool. Um, Back to our caller at hand. You know, I want to say just speaking of this relationship, I mean, Christina and I have like a real best friendship. And I know you're saying this girl is your BFF, but I had a close friend um, when I was in a relationship that was not serving me in which I was not reaching my full potential as a human being because I was obsessed with maintaining this relationship and kind of kowtowing to everything that this guy needed or wanted me to do, which I know is a huge frustration for people like Ed and Christina because they're just so used to seeing me be myself um, and to watch me like kind of fall into a relationship where, you know, me, Molly McAleer, the star kind of turned into a background player. Um, It was upsetting. And I know I understand exactly what you're saying. But at the same time, as Christina and Ed, you know, they kind of bit their tongues because they knew it was making me happy. But I had another person in my life who was a pretty good friend. um, And But this, you know, this incident in particular really damaged us. I found out he was going around telling a lot of people that I was with a bad dude and that, you know, he wasn't serving me and all of the stuff that I had just said. But he was going around repeating it to people that I didn't even know that well and telling them that he hated my boyfriend. And, you know, it was like almost it was almost like half the town heard about how shitty my relationship was from this person. And I had maybe heard it from him once, but I took such great offense to it because I was like, you know what? Maybe my life isn't a life that you would want to live for yourself right now. But right now for me, this is working. And I didn't need to hear it from him more than once. I think it's important because, you know, I think it is important that you maybe say something in a very delicate way, like, you know, before you commit to marriage, which is for the rest of your life, like, are you sure you want to be with this person who, you know, since you've been with him, I've seen you kind of dull your shine a little bit. Um, Maybe bring that up once, but this is, you know, different because they are getting married and you do want to have this person in your life. And I don't know if you want to have her in your life if she's with this man or not, but if you can tolerate it, I think the best thing you can do is just try and be supportive and let your friends make their mistakes. You know, I have a really bad habit with Ed in particular because I feel so fucking protective of Ed and Christina doesn't tell me anything about her life. Um, <laughs> I um, I have this really bad habit of when he is doing something that I feel like 
is going to hurt him. I try and learn speed up the lesson for him and like cut to the chase and say like, don't do that. Don't talk to this person. Don't trust this guy again. And I always feel like one, I'm slapping a cookie out of a child's hand, which is like upsetting because he, while I can see how detrimental this is, um, and that it's a poison cookie to him. He just has a cookie. So like, I'm just, I'm just shitting on his parade and I become the Debbie Downer friend. And maybe you don't ultimately want to be that person in this person's life. I've tried to really police myself from doing that to Ed as much as possible because I realize we are on different life paths and we are, we have dated at different speeds and we do have different levels of experience and, different hearts and everything so um well i mean it's like uh, how a child learns anything it's like you let them get burned to learn or you don't right. really let them get burned but they get burned and they learn not to touch fire yeah it's, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing it's like you're not gonna like not sure me yeah in which case you get burned 900 times and then you don't <laughs> yeah no i mean but like i can tell you like don't do this don't do that but until it happens to you you're not gonna be- like trust that right yeah because you think you're different yeah and that's also- what it is everyone thinks that their situation is is different but it's not yeah and and also i want you to just be cognizant of the fact that like there's going to be a day where you are potentially with someone who your friends don't care for and that isn't serving you and that um you know i just basically put yourself in her shoes and ask yourself like what place in my life would I need to be in to think that this is an appropriate marriage option for me like what is it that maybe exists in that relationship that I'm not seeing? What is it about my friend that maybe I'm kind of overshooting her ability um, and assuming more of her? I think that sometimes with our friends, we can kind of look up to them as heroes in a, in a way and and see them as like someone that it's like, but you're so this and you're so that. And, and people oftentimes don't see what's so great about them and they live in a different reality. And your friend might think this is the best guy she's going to meet or the best she could do or you know maybe he's rough around the edges but he's you know he's my dude like or hope that he's going to be something change, more yeah. because of her love and it's like honey yeah. if he can't do it on his own yeah you're not going to help him that was a really really tough lesson for me is like to stop fucking trying to fix people um and it seems so obvious like you know you're not going to make anyone change it's like it's a very um, you know, common adage that like, you know, no one, no one's going to make any changes in themselves that like you can't prompt people to make change basically. Um, but we all like sometimes from time to time will fall into that trap, whether it be with a friend or a romantic partner or whatever. And to that point, you know, you can't make your friend change. Um, your fr- If your friend is in this place in her life, she wants to be there. And you can maybe point it out to her, but it's almost like telling someone who's convinced they're ugly that they're beautiful and so they should just get it. Like, if she's lived her life thinking, especially if she's dealing with depression or mental illness or whatever else, she's lived her life thinking that her worth is a certain amount. You can't, with one conversation, change her point of view on that. That's going to be something that comes with time, if ever. Um... And, you know, I do think that you guys are very young. I'm kind of alarmed that she's getting married this young at age 26 to someone that she's kind of settled into, it seems like, um, you know, unceremoniously. Um, Additionally, if her fidelity lies in her, like, Prozac. Yeah, that's problematic. That is problematic. Um, You know, I have seen friends in bad engagements before and – I remember years and years ago, I ran into a girl I knew at a vintage store with, I was with my roommate and she, this girl was with her fiance 
And I remember always thinking this girl was so cool and so unique and and so fun and special. And looking at her fiance, who like kind of looked like a background extra from Friday Night Lights, like very hunky in like a southern way, and very tall and like very like, oh, okay, like duh. If that guy proposes to you, you accept. But like she was she's this really cool girl, and she had this like oil painting that she had found at this vintage store. And she was showing my friend and I, and she's like, look at this painting I found. Isn't it so cool? And, like, her fiancé was standing there, like, just like a fucking sack of flour. Like, he didn't – he wasn't, like, proud of his fiancé for finding this cool oil painting. Like, if anything, he seemed, like, put out by it and was like, this thing is ugly and weird and I don't know why you would want it. And I remember thinking, like, fuck. That – I remember – that was a moment for me where I was like, fuck, like, that sucks that – she is going to spend her life with someone who like can't even get behind her hobbies. And sure enough, that kind of that it worked itself out in the wash. They wound up not getting married and, you know, she moved on and everything like that. But I just remember that that moment is always so poignant to me of just a, a vision of a girl with the highest hopes in the world trying to do her own thing. And this like sack of flour next to her who like can't even get excited on her behalf. Like that really bums me out. Um, so, oh man, maybe she'll work it out. Maybe she won't. I don't know. Listen, here's the thing. We don't know what's going to happen. It could be that they get married and like their whole lives improve. The marriage was the thing that they needed. That could, that could be one of the many possibilities that happen. But, you know, what we're stressing here is you have your one chance to say something, mm-hmm. say it, and then get out of the way because that's not your life to worry about. Has that ever been the case in like the history of life outside of maybe arranged marriage that like all of a sudden marriage improves your life? And like, like I will actually say from personal experience, one of my family members changed significantly when he got married. Mm-hmm. He was kind of like a player mm-hmm. of sorts or like a papi chulo, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something about when he got the wedding band on. In his second marriage, that apparently, <laughs> yeah, it changed w- things. It, it changed the the tone tone of the relationship and what they meant to each other for him. And you know, um, had it had it been up to me, I would have told him probably to rethink his decision. But you know, you know, you don't know how people are going to take something like marriage mm-hmm. um, and internalize it and and what it means to them. Yeah, it does make me a little sick to my stomach, though, just, like, how close to home that hits of, like, a, just a girl being in, like, the worst oppression of her life and being in a really bad relationship with some. I mean, it's triggering for me. Yeah. Um. So, I don't know. I just – but for me, look, I would have never ended that relationship. You couldn't have paid me to. So, it it, it just had to be it, – it, like, he had to break up with me. Like, I think he realized I was never going to break up with him and I was always going to put up with his shit. And, like, there was no way that he could, like – there was no way that he could – get me to not hang in there i think it was it's funny because i think i was building towards maybe talking to you about it yeah because it started to get i mean we were really unhappy towards the end i mean we were fighting constantly and mostly because like he just visibly seemed to dislike me and i didn't understand what had happened because there was like so much love between us for so long and then all of a sudden this person who was at one point obsessed with me and like selling me the dream and i bought it like i didn't understand what was happening. And I just was like, well, relationships are rough. Sometimes you go through rough patches. And so if anyone out there is listening to this, if you're in a bad relationship and you're 
you've if, been if your rough, rough patch has lasted years yeah if you're <laughs> running for like more than six months off the fumes of the first six months of your relationship then you are not in a relationship anymore you're in a hostage just hostage situation um but yeah i uh i i like this call thank you for calling and um i'm glad nicholas got to chime in let's take our next call Hey, Malls and Christina and guest. My name is Paige. I'm 27 and I live in Washington, D.C. I'd love to get your take on a situation I have going on right now and really figure out whether or not I'm just being a petty bitch or if my hurt feelings are justified. So to keep the backstory short and sweet, my stepdad married my mom when I was about four and they divorced when I was in high school. I've always had a great relationship with my real dad, but my stepdad was also an amazing parent to me too. Like coached all my little league teams, taught me how to ride a bike, all that, you know, dad stuff. So we got a Jack Russell Terrier when I was about 17. She was super important to our family and not just because she was our first dog, but because it was right after the divorce and my siblings and I all needed like something to feel like it was bringing our family back together. Um, Her name was Penny. My stepdad got remarried last summer to a woman who I'm not the biggest fan of. Frankly, my siblings and I see her as a gold digger and there's five of us um, and none of us really like her. And she hated Penny and made it really clear to everyone how much she disliked the dog. So I cried on the phone to my stepdad multiple times last summer offering to take Penny here in D.C. with me because he'd said, you know, things aren't going really well. She's not adjusting to, you know, my wife and our new life together. Um, And I live alone and my landlord is really cool and so nice and such an animal lover. And I know she would have essentially let me adopt a senior dog who is really low maintenance into my apartment. So last July, my stepdad called me and told me that he had put Penny down. She bit him, not seriously. He didn't need stitches or anything, but it wasn't just a nip. She was a little over 10 years old and, you know, grouchy as some senior dogs can get, but she had no other serious medical issues. Um, My stepdad waited a week after he put her down to call me because he knew I'd be so upset. Um, He didn't take her body home to, like, bury her in our backyard, and he didn't cremate her. Um, He left her at the vet, and I think that's, like, the most disrespectful thing as a pet owner that you can do. She deserves so much better and so much more than that for her life to end that way. This has been, like, a huge betrayal of trust, and my relationship with my stepdad has really deteriorated since then. I've only talked to him once since that phone call and it was at my brother's wedding because you have to like keep the peace around your extended family and not air your dirty laundry out in front of everyone. So I want to know, am I being petty? Do I need to like write him an email and explain how much that hurt me? And it hasn't affected my relationship with any of my siblings whatsoever, but it's really been weighing on me and I don't know what to do and how to move forward in my relationship with him or just, you know, kind of cut my losses and let it go. So please advise. 
Um, on a side note, I'm really bummed that I didn't catch you at the Women's March here in D.C. I truly loved, loved, loved that episode of the pod. Like, I was tearing up on the Metro like a crazy person when I was listening to it. So keep up the great work, and hopefully I'll hear from you guys soon. Thanks so much. Okay. Um, well, first of all, thank you for this call. This is like a really emotional one. Um, Christina warned me about that beforehand, but I wasn't exactly sure why. Um, now I know. Um, really quickly, just to get this out of the way, I will be actually coming to Baltimore. Um, I'm staying at the harbor in the harbor area. Um, for I think it'll be next weekend. You'll as you're hearing this, it'll be the upcoming weekend. And so if you I think we're gonna be doing a meetup after the crystals from the Bachelor matchmaking event that my friend Amy and I are going to because we're demented. <laughs> <laughs> it's so embarrassing. Like I mean only me. Like I'll I I, I don't know. Is any- this like a former bachelor who's doing He's a failed Prince Farming. He's a former bachelor. He's the one that wanted a wife that would just like like sink casually into his life in Iowa in a town of like 32 people like they don't even like if you want a pizza you have to drive an hour away um it's like it's crazy so this for Why some do reason people live like I don't understand yeah, some like, people be like in farms you know farms are cool but like so far away from, okay whatever he's rich as fuck though too because it's like it's a, I don't mean He's probably rich as fuck because he doesn't have any stores to spend money at. But like it was also, I mean, the farming industry is gigantic. I think he's a corn farmer and that there's a lot of money in oh, corn he's, farming. He's getting that government he's money. He's getting that good corn money. Um, But so, yeah, we're going to be doing a, a meetup probably right after that event. And um, I will be picking – I have a list of bars my friend from the area sent me. So I'll be picking a bar and um, hopefully I'll announce that on Twitter this week. Um. Back to your call. Um, I personally, I wouldn't be able to move forward with this in any positive direction unless I properly aired my grievances to my stepdad. Um, you know, it's an interesting relationship. I don't completely relate because I, my mom and stepdad got married at a very different time in my life than your mom and stepdad did. And I didn't have a relationship with my father. But I love my stepdad very, very much. And even though they're getting a divorce right now, I know that, I mean, he's still someone we text every week. We text every, you know, how are you doing? How are you doing? You know, he, I I plan on in the, you know, distant future moving to Austin, Texas on a somewhat permanent level. He's going to be living in Austin. Like I under, I understand that. I do understand that relationship. Like he is someone that I want to know for the rest of my life. And I view him like real family. Um, at the same time, um, you know, he's done some things that have really fucking tested me. And I also have, um, you know, and, and, and he, I don't feel bad saying that because ultimately I think if, you know, I got back to Greg somehow, he knows I love him more than anything. But there have been a couple of things that he's said or done that have been, that have really tested, tested me, my ability to find compassion for him. And, um, you know, it's hard enough in these, this day and age to stay close to the people that you're blood related to right mm-hmm. now. I mean, it's, it's let alone the people that, you know, once there's a betrayal there and once you guys are, you know, not necessarily in each other's lives all the times, it's a little bit easier to let them go. Um, especially if you, if you hate his wife, um, it's, Somewhat ironic that you mentioned this because my hairdresser has actually been going through the exact same thing with her son because she and her husband, after 
having a dog for, I think, 12 or 13 years. They have another dog, but they had to put one of the dogs down. And her 32-year-old son, like he's my, he's 33 now, he's my age, he um, stopped speaking to them right after that. And, you know, they didn't really understand why. And he basically just said, like, because you're a murderer, because you murdered my dog. And he, you know, they've just started to reconcile. But for over a year, my very sweet, loving hairdresser has not had her son in her life because of this. So I want you to know that this is also not uncommon and that I think the people, especially kids in the family, they know they have a different relationship to a dog than their parent does. And especially another adult that's entered a situation with this pre-existing animal, like uh, growing up as a child with a dog, like you just never love anything more, you know? Um, And so, I, I mean, it's funny, like to this day, like I can like conjure up tears over like losing my first dog at like two. And then later I think at like, I was like eight or something. And I like cried for years about it. Um, so it's a yeah. very real emotion you're experiencing. I think you got to write your stepdad the email. I really do. I was I was debating whether email was the best way to do it. Um, I just think that it's such a cold way to correspond with something. And I understand like the benefits of it is having all your thoughts composed. Staying it, on message. Yeah, staying on message, having your thoughts composed. But – I don't know if that's necessarily the best medium for someone of a different generation to have a conversation. Well, I mean, you um, could also write someone and there's, a letter. And there's also tone-wise tone a lot of things that can be misconstrued. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe a phone call might be a better situation or the next time you're in town and you're, you know, you see him and have a conversation face-to-face. Um, so you don't have to worry about things might be being misconstrued or anything like that. I am, it depends I, on who you are. Like yeah. for me, I know this. You may not get what you want out of me and that like an email may not be your preferred method of communication, but I can write the way I feel so much more clearly than I can say it out loud. And especially if there's a lot of anticipation around it where it's like I have to go deliver this message about a very emotional subject. Like I am the first person when forced to orally explain to someone something that I've been upset about for years or months or weeks or days. Um, I get very sloppy, very emotional. I go compl- I go wildly off message and I I afterwards I feel like that could have gone that could have gone a lot better for about 900 different reasons and a lot of them were the fact that like I just wasn't pacing myself. So the only, I mean, as long as the Do, thing, yeah. it depends on who it depends on who you are as a person. Are yeah. you a writer or are you a speaker? But also, are you can, like if you are going to write, make sure that you keep all those things in mind that Christina just said. That like you want to be really clear in your tone, and like maybe even start the email out by just like reminding him how much he means to you, because there are a lot of people out there that would not be this upset about something that their stepdad did. And not and ever speak to him again. Like mm-hmm. if you have no reason to speak to him, other than you know, if there's no legally binding reason why you need to speak to him, m- most people would just like break that relationship. It's like it's done. You know, like I can't. I don't understand the person you've moved on with. I don't understand the person you've turned into. And I just don't need you in my life. The fact that you care this significantly about your stepfather's is a lot about who he is as a person to you and what that relationship means in your life that you still want to salvage that after, you know, this what feels like obviously a great betrayal. And, um, you know, I I think he probably knows. 
I think he knows that he fucked up and that's why he took a week to call you. Um, that's not something that's normal um, to wait a week to call someone about a death. Um, he, he probably knew, you know, and I think that it, it was his his new wife looking for the first opportunity she could to kind of free herself up because also, you know, if 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 it's a dog you don't like, that's a massive responsibility to sign on for. I think it's also a constant visual reminder of his previous relationships and the ties that he has to those kids and to her uh, mother. Right. And that can be a problem for a lot of people um, who want to be the only thing in a person's life when they enter a romantic relationship. And Dr. Laura would blast her ass open, by the way. It's manipulative. It's definitely manipulative. Yeah, because when you marry someone, there's a reason why 70% of remarriages don't work out. The divorce rate goes up to 70, and when there's kids, it's even more. And the reason why for that is because so many people expect – them to give up their life, their marriage, but no one is ever going to really ultimately be more important to them than their children, which is why I think your stepdad was kind of, he waited so long to call you. I, I think he probably felt a great deal of shame and embarrassment um, that he prioritized something over you, you know, um, when he knew you would have taken that dog. Um, and it uh, it's, you know, I do want to say, I think, you know, Penny got had 10 good years and she probably knew she was loved. And, yeah. um, you know, I agree that it's, you know, highly tragic that he didn't have her cremated. I yeah, I personally would not be able to bring the body of a dog home from a vet. Um, I just I understand that part. But you have your pet cremated if you've ever, you know, if you have a shit about anything, you have your pet cremated. And I just yeah, I I really think you need to write him an email. Or or say something to him in person, depending on who you are as a person, how you best communicate. Find the way you best communicate and do it. You know, if you want to sit down, generationally speaking, you know, I think that writing a letter has always been a, a way uh, – a form of communication before you could talk to each other's faces. People wrote each other letters. So I think that there is something to a, a letter. Um, I would also maybe talk to one of your siblings about it. Talk it out and, like, parse your feelings out together because – they might feel the same way that you do about this situation. Has she not spoken to them about it? it, it I don't know. She didn't say. And I found it curious that she didn't mention that and that she was going to ask for advice. But um, Just make sure that they're not they, – that the siblings that you go to are not your most meddling siblings because the last <laughs> thing you want is for this to get back to your stepdad before yeah, that's you can true. get to him. That's true. You know, and so, I mean, you, know, you never know. Like sometimes sometimes people's siblings are fucking crazy. And that's they true. They really are. Maybe that's why she is coming to us. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's possible. Well, that's you possible. just said crazy. I did. <laughs> I did. I'm trying not to. I'm trying to curb it from my vocabulary. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that if you do have a sibling that's like a meddler or whatever, just make sure that that's not the one that you speak to. Or if you have one that's super close with your stepdad, that's not the one that you speak to. I'm interested to know if all of the kids feel that way about him. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. When I was listening. I mean, he got invited to the brother's wedding. That's a pretty... Well, he still has ties. To the, I mean, like, the, he saw these kids grow up. They, he's going to be a part of their lives for, like, she's going to run into him in family functions yeah, occasionally. I'm, yeah. I mean, but I think that's a pretty well-woven-in family. I just, like, think her her parents have done a nice job of being well-adjusted. That, yeah. you know, her, they could still be around her birth each other. father, her stepfather, her mother, and probably this new wife are all in one place together. Yeah. Maybe the dad's remarried, too. Like, yeah. that's very – that's – that's a really like s- strong sign that you're in a good emotional landscape to talk to these people. And I'm sure your stepdad is 
a, a real person in there and like feels terrible about it. And he feels terrible. And I think he just another reason why he probably hasn't talked to you about it to the extent that you probably wish he has is because he's like ashamed of it. You know, yeah. I would feel I would feel shame. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, and and I don't know. At the same time, I can't. I know that you wanted to take her on, but if that wasn't an option, like at the same time, I can't think of a worse life for a pet than to be walking around a place where they're resented openly. Um, it's like you don't do that to kids and you don't do it to pets because they can pick up on that vibe and they know it and they live it and they take it on. Yeah. And um, maybe that's me projecting a little bit too much human emotion on an animal, but they know when they're disliked and it's um, it's not a nice life. No one wants to live a life of like that where they feel resented. Um, so – yeah. Um, but Paige, Christina, do you have anything else to say? Oh, I'm just sorry for your loss, Paige. I, I mean, I feel really bad. Penny sounded like a really wonderful dog, and um, I hope she's resting in peace. Yeah, and I think that this is also – it sucks because this is the circle of life with pets. My mom has recently come to, come to terms with the fact that she can't keep her dog anymore, and um, he's been a behaviorally challenged dog on a different level than wagon stuff because he's a biter. Um for a long time and he's been living in Florida with two of my mom's best friends, but she's kind of decided recently that she really can't keep him. Um, and take in if she's, especially if she's going to be working full time for the first time in 10 years, she's not going to be able to have a dog. So, um, it sucks. Um, but pets, we will always outlive our pets and it's heartbreaking and it's something I don't even really like to think about. Um, but this might there might be an opportunity. You'll be surprised for for you to find that kind of love in another animal someday. And the loss will always be devastating. But you always knew Penny was going to pass away before you. Um, maybe not under those circumstances, but it's an inevitability uh, a lot of the times. And um, maybe when you're in a different apartment situation, you can take on a new dog or maybe this is an opportunity if you know you're in a building where your landlord will let you adopt a senior dog adopt a senior dog like they need help like not a lot of people adopt senior dogs so if you have if you know that you have the opportunity to do that maybe this is that's something you would like to consider i know it's not the dog you wanted but it was, it's still an opportunity to give to kind of recreate some of that love in your life. Um, and, and to give a, an older dog a, a nice way to end their life. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. Senior dogs, dude. Like, I think, I, I mean, I would like to adopt a senior dog. I just, oh, I have one. Um, all yeah. right. Uh, let's take another call. And Paige, but, but Paige, I will, um, I'll be, I'll be in Baltimore in like, a week. So if you want to hang, if you want to come to our meetup, I will announce the name of the bar and hopefully um, that's a trip that you can make. All right, next call. Hi, Malls, Christina, and guests. My name is Claire. I'm 31 and I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm calling because I'm planning a trip to Atlanta for my birthday in a couple months. And this trip is going to be part of a project that I'm starting this year to visit all 50 states before I turn 40. And I'm really looking forward to it. My best friend was supposed to come with me, but she can't make it. And none of my other friends are available that weekend. I have the whole trip already planned out and I want to pack as much as I can into a long weekend to really get a feel for the city. It looks like I'll be traveling solo, so I'm wondering if you have any tips for doing that because I've never done it before. 
Most of the things I have planned, I'm totally cool to do by myself, but I also want to go to a Braves game and maybe a couple of nice dinners, and I'd like some company. I thought about uh, maybe using Twitter, I mean, not Twitter, Tinder, (laughs) to recruit a couple of locals for that purpose, but I don't know. Is that a bad idea? Please advise. First of all, you should only travel solo. Like once you start (laughs) traveling with people again, after you've gotten used to traveling solo, you're like, fuck. Yeah. God. Oh, you yeah. gotta get your bag. Oh, okay. God. Oh, now I have to open the door for another person. Like it's so. Oh, uh, you have to move your car so uh, I can get to my car. Like it's just literally so annoying. Um, but at the same time, it can be a wonderful experience. But like <laughs> I, I've, I've. Let me, let me just fair warn you. Once you get used to traveling solo, it's really hard to go back. I'm fine to go <laughs> somewhere and meet someone. But like, like I'll go see my friend Allie or my friend Max and it'll be great. But like anytime you have to consider another person, it's a little bit of a pain in the ass, especially <laughs> at the airport. Like, I think that's true for like even once you once you get used to living by yourself and being by yourself, it's oh. hard to like go back to anything yeah. else. Yeah, it's, it, it is. So like, like I, I have to consider another person's like agenda for how I plan my week. Right, okay. exactly. You need ships in the night type people in your life in that scenario. But – um, okay. I actually, when I first joined Tinder, it had been out for like four years. Like I was very late to joining Tinder because I was in relationships. And then before that, I thought it was embarrassing to date on the internet. Um, and but you thought it was okay to like scope out dates on Craigslist. I don't, I mean, I, that wasn't in college. That was a suggestion that you gave me for dating. You and gave, I gave you, another person You that gave too. another person that too. But well, yeah. because no, well, one person was just like, I just want to get fucked. And she was like, I just want to meet someone and get fucked. And I was like, hey, well, like, I mean, if you just want to get fucked. Tinder didn't exist in that time. No, I mean, Tinder didn't exist. And like, also, like, some people did meet that way. And like, also, like, we were too young for Match.com. And I felt like OK Cupid was like a cesspool of people that like either A, just wanted to get fucked or were like so emotionally broken that like I couldn't even go there. Like, that's how I – I remember coming home one afternoon and OK my, – and my friend – Duncan and my friend Sarah, my roommate Sarah, were setting up their OkCupid profiles. And I was like, Duncan, why are you joining? He's like – or I asked – I was like, Sarah, why are you joining? She's like, I just want to be like a nice guy and like maybe get into a relationship, like see if there's someone special out here for me. And I'm like, Duncan, why are you joining? He's like, oh, I just want to find girls to fuck. And I was like, do you guys not see what you're signing up? You are you are signing up for the two opposite reasons. <laughs> this is what I I feel okay Cupid must be is dudes who want to fuck or people who want to fuck and then people who actually are seeking long-term relationships and they're probably never gonna find the right person. Um yeah. But yes, you're right. I I probably look, it's it it goes down in history up there with me telling Ed <laughs> he should sell Avon. As a thing that I have, I see no problem with to this day. I still think Ed should sell Avon. I know that he just got a promotion at work and he's doing, you know, he's killing the game. But, um, yo, like, there's no shame in selling Avon, especially if you're a natural salesperson. Like, what the fuck? This is America. We all need money. Lots of people need jobs. It's ne- Whatever. Anyway, fuck off. Um, <laughs> but, yes. So, okay. So when Tinder. I first joined Tinder, I ran into these two girls I know. At a bar and I was like, oh, my God, I just joined Tinder and, like, I – this guy, like, said something to me. Like, do I just unmatch him? She's like, just unmatch. And I'm like, isn't that mean? She's like, who gives a fuck? She's like, she's like, just unmatch. And she's like, but – she's like, I will tell you this. She's like, 
whenever you go to a different city, turn on your Tinder. And I was like, why? She's like, if you know, she's like, I went to London with two girlfriends for a weekend and like, or for a week. And we put on our Tinder and said, like, we're looking for people to show us around. Okay. She found this, they found this great guy who like didn't, wasn't trying to have sex with either one of them. Super hot. Like neither of them could believe that he even swiped on them. And um, he drove them around London and like showed them the sights and like took them all these different places all week long because he, it was like, it was his pleasure to do that. He wasn't working that week. He could, he had the time to do it. And like these two pretty young girls where, you know, it, it was an opportunity to show them their city. There's a lot of people like that. Um, when I was in Austin, I followed her advice. Most recently when I was in Austin, I knew I wanted a barbecue dinner, but I didn't want to go – you know, I normally have no problem eating alone, but I'm like, I'm not going to, like, grub on, like, five pounds of ribs by myself. I have I have trouble eating bone um, meats in public. Okay. <laughs> Like chicken wings, yeah, and like ribs, yeah. You're and like, alone, I would not do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's too it's too much of a spectacle. Yes, um, I would eat a steak by myself. Yeah, if I was that. like sitting at the bar and could just kind of like space out. But, um, listen, I think you should do this. I think especially for the game, if you have tickets, I think that that would be a great way to do it saying like hey i'm in town for the week i have tickets then you're gonna get like your pick of the litter that's the other yeah. thing too well because when i was in austin what i was what i was saying is that i had some guy bring barbecue to my hotel and we like ate in the hotel lobby and like we you know like he kept trying to like go back to my patio and hang and i was like no um but long story short like i got something that i needed out of someone on vacation and it was their pleasure to do that yeah <laughs> and um you know, it might be fun. Like I, when I was in New Orleans, I went on a Valentine's Day date, which was so funny. <laughs> I went on a Valentine's Day date with a guy who had a glass eye in New Orleans. It was really hot. He like worked in oil or something. Um, <laughs> you'll, you're just going to have fun. I, I'm excited for you. I think also 31, like you're the right age to be doing this right now. Like you're not – I think, you know, you're never too young. As long as you have a, a good head on your shoulders, you're never too young to travel. But – 31, I'm thinking you're single. I'm thinking you have this whole opportunity. You're going to meet all these people. I, I can't wait to hear how this this project of seeing all the states goes for you. Will you keep us updated? Like, yeah, throughout the especially trip? if you come to California. Yeah. And also, if you like meet any hot guys for me, let me know. <laughs> like, if you don't like them, but you think I would. Because it's important that you set your net wide. No like, in a no, well, no, I, I'm op- I'm more open to blondes now. Okay, I used to be like every blonde is like a serial rapist, like Mark Paul got because I didn't trust Zach Morris, and so I basically, which are like you know, I just felt I loved Zach Morris. He was hot, but he was trouble. You don't, you don't, I don't, I don't need that in my life. I mean, <laughs> you know that he is half Asian. I know, and yeah. it's not really blonde hair. Yeah, I had no idea. Like I had no idea he was half Asian or blonde or not or not blonde. You know the thing that always baffled me about Saved by the Bell? What? That one season where they were all like beach employees. Oh yeah, the How best. did that Italian Stacey Carosi. Yeah, how did that Italian American family come to own like this vacation resort in Santa Monica? Where I don't even know Malibu. I where think were it was they? supposed to be like I think it was supposed to be the Jonathan Club. Yeah. Which is like the Jonathan <laughs> Club was like an exclusive um beach club and actually i could ask todd greenwald he remembers like leah remini he was Todd, my friend todd who wrote a script with me last year um he 
worked on Saved by the Bell. That was his first job. And he remembers, like, Leah Remini. He remembers, you know, he died when I was like, oh, Stacey Carosi. And he was like, you know her phone. I was like, uh, yeah. no shit, I know Stacey Carosi and Mr. Carosi. Yeah. I think it was probably based off the Jonathan Club, which is okay. a very exclusive beach club. Um, I don't know. If you ever drive past a bunch of blue umbrellas almost on the way to Malibu, that's yes. it. Yes, I know. The, yeah. Uh, sorry to get sidetracked. But yeah. No. Um, yeah, keep in keep in touch with us. I think you're gonna have fun. And also, you know, that's the only that's the only thing that I wouldn't do alone, by the way, is like a sporting event. I would feel very small in a stadium full of people by myself. I'm inclined to agree with that. Yeah, like I I am yeah. concerts are hard for me to go to alone. Same. I could see a play alone. Yes. I could see a like um movie. Uh, yeah, I could go to a museum alone. That sort of shit's fine, but like when it's like a big spectacle and everyone's not just there with a friend it's usually like a group or like their partner or like whatever um yeah you don't want to be alone there i'm going to a clippers game with a guy from tinder next week oh no way i am i've never been to a clippers game i haven't been to a professional basketball game ever in my life but he's the clippers a father are cool <laughs> he's a father that's the age we're at now i'm going out with dads <laughs> we're all we're dating divorcees and also i like kind of want to be a stepmom do you it's like more than I want to be a, more than I want to be a mom because I think I'd also be a good stepmom because I've kind of lived that life. So it's like I I like know what's appropriate. Yeah, like I would have the kids obsessed with me, but also not care if they weren't. You wouldn't be the Julia Roberts version. I mean, maybe at first, who knows? Yeah. I mean, but their mom was dying of cancer, so it was really loaded by that. They were really just <laughs> upset their real mom was dying of cancer. Uh, okay, Tell me, yeah. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. It's fine. Um, I think we've all seen Stepmom. I actually hate that movie. Yeah. I find it very problematic, boring, and also untrue of what a single – I get so upset about the depictions of single parents on TV. Like, I think maybe my mom and I danced in the living room once. But, like, to be honest, most of the time she was just exhausted and things were tense because she was a single working mother. Um, so – not true, Gilmore Girls. Hugely problematic for me. I hate not. I really hate Gilmore Girls. I I do, I dislike it for different reasons than you do. But yeah, which what when reasons do you dislike it? It just seems so. I I'm trying to find a really good way to like compartmentalize this or uh, express what I'm trying to uh, say. Um, it seems I have it's so far from anything I know in my life mm-hmm. in my world, both in terms of like economics mm-hmm. and like race mm-hmm. and geography and you know uh mother daughter status um, yeah like that really that but also it's but, like, like it's, just, it's just weird it just seems don't like a- the thing is don't worry because it's not real like it's not not no, that's know. not even close to anything that anyone should relate to like there's no one out there watching gilmore girls being like oh that is so me and my single mom. Like, the parallels between us were very big. My mom had me very young. My mom had wealthy parents. My my grandparents would help me out in a way that, like, they made sure I had nice dresses for school and that I was educated well and shit like that. But they yeah. didn't but they didn't make my mom's life easier for her because she had a kid. So it's like I just no, and hate and don't that get me show. wrong. And it's like n- not like every single TV show I watch has to be relatable to my life in some way. I mean, I Jesus, I watch games Game of Thrones for crying right. out loud. It's not like I have dragons in my like basement. But there's probably more realistic themes in that that you relate to. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. But it's just like it's something off putting about that show to me. I don't know what it is. But. Yeah, I don't get it. Um. 
All right. So that's why we don't like Gilmore Girls. Uh, <laughs> Go on your journey, though. I'm so excited for you. Yeah, I am, too. Um, should we say goodbye? Yeah, I think it's time. All right. Well, thank you so much to Nicholas Ferroni for joining us today. You guys, you can go check out our Instagram if you want to see the campaign that he's been working on. The pictures are actually super cute. And you can find out more about him by following him on Twitter. We'll link to that as well. And um, you guys, let's get some women in some in some textbooks. And in the meantime, let's apply some supplemental material. If you're a teacher out there or if, you know, you're a parent or you have an access to a child, if you have some access to a child, maybe get them a um, Ruth Gator- Bader Ginsburg uh, coloring, coloring book, book, the way yeah. that I got you one. I love that, <laughs> that coloring be pr- book. Do you use it? Yeah. Which, how many, have you like colored them? Yeah. I'm switching from markers to, from pencils to markers because I don't like how the pencils look. But why? I just want like a stronger color. It's I, just like it's not enough. Yeah, it's not enough. I don't. It's not. It doesn't. It doesn't suit Ruth's vibe. Okay. I want to be true to Ruth. Yeah. Yeah. Are you coloring as opposed to in lines, small circles, so that it gets the pigment gets darker? Maybe. Maybe that's what I should do. But yeah, it's also you- annoying to have to keep sharpening them. Oh come on! Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. It is. <laughs> I was never great at putting my caps back on my marker. So, um, but you guys, thank you so much for listening to episode 125. 125 of Please Advise. We will talk to you next week. And remember, I might see you in Baltimore. Bye.